There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your second podcast of the day. It is still sort of day six of Roland Garros 2022, and it is still sort of our birthday. It is 24 minutes past midnight, so very technically, it is the day after our birthday. Which is normally when we celebrate these things. Well, exactly, (laughs) David. So we can have two days. Exactly. Excellent. It's, uh, well, happy birthday to us. Yeah. Yes. Um, We've got to follow a Mary Carrillo show. We should have done it the other way around, shouldn't we? The uh, the Mary Carrillo Luss show first, followed by Mary. But anyway, we, sh- we shall do our very best. Um, and Carlos Alcaraz has certainly helped us mm. this evening, hasn't he? David, you covered that match from on site. You were jigging between that match and Cameron Norrie against Karen Hashinov uh, over on the Simon Mathieu court. Carlos Alcaraz having beaten Sebastian Corder in, in three straight sets. Matt and I were watching it here from TP Towers Paris edition. And as we sat down to start watching the match, Matt said, it's time for Alcaraz to make a statement. Right. And I think he made that statement tonight. Oh, yeah. hundred uh, percent. And this is a guy who'd beaten him on the surface. First match of Alcaraz's clay court season in Monte Carlo scrappy match from what I can gather. I didn't watch all of it, but that's how, that's how it came across. That's what I'd heard. This wasn't scrappy from either player. Sebastian Corda came out and he brought it and he connects with a ball so sweetly. And, and he was going for it and he comes into the net all the time and he's knocking off follies and he's a huge guy. You know, it's not easy to beat this guy. And Alcaraz beat him 6-4, 6-4, 6-2. And at the end... He hit a shot. I'm not sure I've seen a shot like like he finished it with because it was kind of hard. It was like a, a Nadal-Djokovic hybrid because he slid into the ball like Djokovic the way he does front on to kind of parry the ball. And Djokovic often hits passing shots like that. But it had Nadal-like whip power on it at the same time. I just don't know how you do that. On um, the backhand, on, on the backhand. weaker wing. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, if there is such a thing. He was so explosive tonight. And just exhilarating. And it's because I was doing this split screen thing with the, mat, the Cameron Norrie match. The difference between the two matches. And, and that's, I'm not trying to 
disrespect Cameron Norrie. He's, he's a really good player. And Hachanov, who, who won that match, played really, really well. But I'm telling you, the levels of difference that, that Alcaraz achieved tonight were just a reminder of Madrid. He put on a show tonight, didn't he? I think despite the fact that that was a pretty straightforward straight sets win, the, the people that had that night match ticket... Thank you. <laughs> ...will leave feeling like they got their money's worth. They got a show tonight. Carlos Alcaraz put on a show. He did, yeah. I really feel like he's put that Albert ramos Vinolas performance behind him. You know, that was him still working his way into the tournament... He's saved the match point and he's in it now. And this was the Alcaraz that we saw in Madrid. It was the Alcaraz we saw in Miami. It was top-level Alcaraz. He just jumped on Corda, breaking him in the third game of the match with a huge forehand winner. And he did all the things that we've become accustomed to seeing him do. And the French commentators that we had were just loving him. They were gushing over him. Fabrice Santoro was one of them talking about how much he loves his audacity. Gushing in French is somehow even more gushing. (laughs) It was, c'est pas vrai, c'est pas vrai. (laughs) It was... Yeah, it was and, gu- very gushy and, gushing. And even um, even the words patrafter were mentioned yes. at one point as he kept coming to the net. Kept coming to the net. Pat, c'est comme patrafter. <laughs> Demi-finaliste, ici. It was, it was really... It was fun. Some, somehow the flair of the French laid over the imagery of Carlos Alcaraz was... That says was something, doesn't it? The fact that the, the French ex-players are... Purring oh, yeah. over him because I mean, you know they like, Santor- they like a bit of that. You know, Brice Santoro purring over his variety. Yeah, you know, not just purring. You know, you had Guy Fourget purring about his speed and his power and his explosiveness, but then Fabrice Santoro, every time he forayed to the net, just sounded like he was having a when Harry met Sally moment. <laughs> you know, he, was, he was enjoying it so much. I've lost my co my co podcasters, so I'll just press on. Um, there, there was a there there was a really funny moment that Matt picked up on in the on court post match interview with Matt Valander. Tell us about it, Matt. Yes, this was a great moment. Matt Valander asked him directly. You served and volleyed in um, in the five four game in the second set. Talk us through that, you know, because it was a standout moment, you know, seeing Alcaraz serve volley at such a crucial stage. And um, Alcaraz began his answer by saying, (laughs) well, on the first one, uh, Juan Carlos, Juan Carlos, and then sort of (laughs) caught himself and suddenly realised that he was about to, I think, reveal some blatant on-court coaching, which isn't allowed, (laughs) and changed changed tune mid mid sentence and then started talking about how he how Juan Says Carlos Ferrero always always, Carlos. always wants him to be aggressive in the in the yeah. key moments. He, he was either going to give away blatant on court coaching, which I think he was about to do absolutely, or he was going to completely give away his game plan to every <laughs> opponent as to what he does in every pressure moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neither one idea. There was also no. the the final question from, from Mats Verlander was was about again Juan Carlos. I mean, he was the champion here in, in 2003. He's a big deal, particularly at this tournament. I think, in other, you know, in Wimbledon, he'd be considered pretty niche, Juan Carlos Ferrero. But here, 
he's a big deal. The fact that he's mm. looming over the Carlos Alcaraz matches is a feature for these for these French crowds and very much for us as well. And Mats Philander asked him, when was the last time when Carlos beat you? And it was a really revealing little moment because suddenly he looked like a naive little boy, didn't he? Because he didn't want to... Im- I mean, clearly... Because he lied. Clearly, when Carlos Ferrero <laughs> hasn't beaten Carlos Alcaraz since he was like... Well, I don't know. They met when he was 13, didn't he? But I'm not sure he's ever beaten him. 15, was he when, when they... I tell you, that's, 13, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, Alcaraz said, look, he's in great shape. And yeah. actually, he is. He's it was ripped. A, but it was such a sweet little... It, it he was, didn't want yeah. to... He didn't want to embarrass his dad. He didn't, he, you know. he didn't want to embarrass his dad. Yeah. And throughout it, when Carlos beamed on... Yeah. Parentally, <laughs> the way that he does with these shining eyes. And it was... So lovely. It was, it was lovely. And yet I think it might not be that long ago. And the reason I say that is the strides that Alcaraz has taken in the last year. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to do another Nadal comparison because Nadal came out for one match that I saw in his early career and he'd suddenly changed his physique completely. And he, he, he just had become a man and, and he could... but. But game-wise, he was still quite similar to what he was before. He didn't change his game in, in over the course of the years that dramatically. He had this way of playing, and it just caused Roger Federer and loads of other players nightmares. And then he decided, I want to do more than that, and I want to add to my game. Alcaraz, I think, in terms of a difference in a player's game in the space of 12 months, I can't think of anybody more dramatic making that level of dramatic improvement mm. in 12 months. I can't think of anybody ever. And, and, so, and, so, and so, you know, if you go back two, three years ago, when he's 15, 16, I mean, remember when Pat Cash said he played a young Nadal? I could imagine mm. Ferrero two, three years ago was beating Alcaraz. Mm. Yep. But he, but he did say he did say two months ago. He said two, two months, months ago, ago, and then he, and then and he, he changed it to a year. That was a lie, and I yeah, think was, a yeah. year ago was probably a lie Bless as him. well. But a really, really, the very definition of a white lie. Yeah. Um, next up, such a lovely lie. It's so oh, it lovely. lovely. Next up for Alcaraz, it is um, Karen Hashinov, who we mentioned that you were keeping very much an eye on, maybe even more of an eye at, at points. He beat Cameron Norrie in four sets tonight. Big win. Big, big win for Karen Hashinov, who who loves the clay, doesn't he? Spends a lot of time in Spain, training on clay, grew up for large periods on clay. I think he's going to have a horrible time against Carlos Alcaraz because his thing is hitting the ball big. Yeah. And he's going to... I think his nose is going to be out of joint because he's not going to be well, the biggest hitter on the court. He's going to play somebody who does everything that he does just better. Running fast, hitting balls, touch, everything. And um, and I mean, Hashinov was so tight at the end of his win over Nori. I mean, he did a good job. He played well today. He deserved that win. Um, but he tightened up so much. He had two brace serve. He lost one of them. And he was, it's, it's so interesting watching a guy who's as experienced as that, who's won that many matches, look, you know, being quite open with everybody about how nervous he is in, in the tight moments. But I, I just can't see that being particularly close. 
I don't understand Karen Hachinov as a tennis player, but there is one thing that we do know about him, and that is, that is, he is incredibly consistent at Roland Garros. I think he's reached the second week now five times. Whereas for Alcaraz, this is his first time in the second week of Roland Garros. Wow. <laughs> Something tells me not the last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's hard to see, isn't it? It is very hard to see any kind of Hashinov challenge, but... You might keep... That's why set, you play the matches. might keep a set or two close, but I'd be surprised. Um, just, just finally, one on Sebastian Corder. Have we seen enough of him to try and make completely unreliable predictions about his career. We were making Thomas oh, yeah. Burdick comparisons this evening. Is that unfair? I see it. Or maybe that's a massive compliment. I think it's unfair to Thomas Burdick at the moment because Thomas Burdick beat Rafael Nadal, Roger but Federer I mean and Novak is, Djokovic several times. What I mean is most people are talking about, maybe before Alcaraz became, to quote Daniil Medvedev, the famous Carlos Alcaraz, but most people were talking about Sebastian Korda as a as a future Grand Slam champion. Now, Thomas Burdick didn't win a Grand Slam, so I suppose that's what I mean. Mm. I think if you, if you offered Sebastian Korda Thomas Burdick's career right now, he'd say, no, thank you. I would agree. I think he's hugely ambitious. Um, and I think he's... The similarity is the ball striking, the, the, that purity the smooth, of strike. Yeah. It's lovely to watch. And, and actually the movement probably because Cord is maybe not quite as heavily built as Burdick, but he might end up being as, as heavily built because obviously he's a young man at this point. Um, I, think, I think he might be better, end up being better mentally than Burdick because I think he... Burdick be- accumulated baggage, didn't yeah, he, he did. mentally? Yeah, he did. And I also... I may be wrong, but I kind of sensed that he was more satisfied. And look, he he achieved a lot. And again, Corder will be doing really well if he achieves as much as Burdick did. And I think maybe, and I'm guilty of this too, we we damn Burdick would would faint praise occasionally. But I think he wasn't prepared to go the extra last little bit. He could have got a bit more out of himself, I think, even more. I do a slam? That. I think there might... I mean, it's the era, isn't it? The era is a nightmare. Mm. But he, there were just a few moments where I thought, the classic, has the, has the guy got fangs? Mm. That's the Has Corder got fangs? Yeah, I would say so. I'm expecting Jury's him to. out, I think. I don't I, think yeah. we know yet. No, we don't, but I'm expecting him to. Yeah. I think he's got the ambition I hope so, because I like him a lot, and his game yeah. is so smooth. I really hope so, but I, I did just waver on it a big a bit tonight. But then I don't know. Alcaraz is so imposing; he sucks all the air. He well, he doesn't suck it out of the room. He just occupies it all, doesn't he? I don't know how you try and impose yourself when Carlos Alcaraz is on the other end of the court, unless you're Nadal or Djokovic and you've got twenty plus slams. Alcaraz on the court changes with you. the equation yeah. for everybody. He's, he's made the, the lens through which we look at all the others different. Let's stay with the men's side of things, seeing as we've, we've done Alcaraz and we've done Hashinov. Let's, let's go to our other two contenders, because, of course, they're all in the same half of this draw, because Nadal and Djokovic both made statements of their own today. We were expecting Novak Djokovic to make a statement against Aliash Bednay, I didn't see all of it. I was 
dipping in and out of it. It was on the screen in in the area of the press room that we're in. It looked exactly the match that that we were all expecting to see. Does anyone have anything further to add? No. I mean, Alej Bedene plays a bit like Novak Djokovic, just several levels lower. And, and he's a very good tennis player, but he, th- he poses very little threat. And that's what the scoreboard told us. It'll be Diego Schwartzman next for Novak Djokovic. Fittingly, on our 10th anniversary, we made a really, really shit Grigor Dimitrov prediction. Or you did, David. Yeah, it's very nice of you. <laughs> I was going to say, please do not lump me in that it's one. It's what the people have come here for, David. <laughs> I'm in. Dave, Dave, David and I were sitting, you were, you were out watching Anisimova-Mukova, Anis Matt, and Matt, uh, David and I were sat in the press room and David looks over to me in horror as we both just glanced at the uh, the dimitrov Schwartzman score. He's two sets and a breakdown. David said... Did I say that Dimitrov stuff on air yesterday? <laughs> and Catherine said, no, but we'll bring it up tonight. <laughs> and here we are, David. Yeah. Yeah, he had been, he, had, he won his opening two rounds in, in double quick fashion. He was looking great. Is there ever going to be a time in my life when Grigor Dimitrov doesn't win one match and make me start thinking something's changed? Nope. No. No. Um, and uh, I look, I didn't see the match. I just saw the scoreboard ticking <laughs> over and I didn't expect that at all. So, yes, I thought on the 10th anniversary I might change my fortunes. I listened to episode one this morning when I was predicting Serena Williams to win the French Open and she lost in the first round. So um, it's all entirely in keeping. I don't think we've actually said what David's prediction was for Dimitrov. It, the prediction actually just assumed that he would beat Diego Schwartzman <laughs> did, <yeah>. today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the prediction was Dimitrov could trouble Djokovic. Yeah, but I think he could have done. <laughs> no, no, no mention of Diego Such Schwartzman. Such a perfect prediction because no one can prove you wrong. <laughs> Had he got through? <laughs> can Diego Schwartzman trouble Novak Djokovic? We all want surprised. to say yes, don't we? We all want to wish know, Diego well, generally, but I doubt. He'll play a good match. Yeah. They've, they've played six times. Djokovic has won them all. I'm pretty sure there'll be like a close set in there. Schwartzman will, will make it close. I just always think that when Schwartzman plays Djokovic, he is clinging on to his serve. Mm. You know, it's, it's Mary Carello's first rule. You have to hold your serve. And Schwartzman struggles with that generally, but he makes up for it normally on return because he's so good there. But Djokovic's return is the best I've ever seen. He's just constantly putting Schwartzman under pressure. And it feels like even if Schwartzman get, gets ahead, well, Djokovic will just break him back. <laughs> it, it seems like such a tricky matchup for Schwartzman. Well, well, one of the things that I've enjoyed this week in being back in a commentary box, because it hasn't I haven't been in one for a long, long time, is listening to the... The Davis Cup captain Leon Smith and and people who who have played the sport and coached the sport and and asking them what do you do when you play a player that is clearly levels above you in rankings terms and in achievements and and what do you do as a coach to send your player out there to have a chance what do you do you know and and Leon Smith made a really interesting. Um, 
analysis for me of, 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 of how there's no point in sending your player out to try to be something that they're not to try to throw some game plan in that they've never done before. Morphis, US Open semi-final yeah. style. He said, you have, to, you have to tell them what you've seen in the stats about what the opponent is likely to do on certain points and how often they go which way with a serve, etc., to, to, to equip them. And then you've got to tell them they've got to play their game and they've got to play it the best that they possibly can and try to keep the score close. And then maybe there'll be a couple of points here and there where the player misses the first serve and gives you a little opening. And maybe you can put them under a bit of pressure. And it's all so incremental. It's, there's, there's, you know, there's no point in doing much more than that, really. And that's your best chance. But it's really... Mm. Just how and tough it is, even from a coach's perspective, really came through to me. And yet... You know, madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm. You know, so many times we have bemoaned players for going into a match and, yeah, and just playing their game because it hasn't worked eight times in the past, nine times in the past. Mm. Why is it going to work now? But I get that, you know, if you do try and do something totally different as well, you're kind of setting yourself up also to get thrashed potentially. It's it's why the best players are the best players, you know. Rafael Nadal today had his outing on Suzanne Longlen. You know, we thought, well, I'm using the the collective we generously here because I've just just taken you to task on your Dimitrov prediction, David. But some people thought Botic Bot- van der Zanschop might be might be a bit tricky for oh, yeah, Rafael Nadal a, today, and the Longlin might be a bit tricky for Rafael Nadal today. Turns out absolutely nothing was tricky for Rafael Nadal I, today. I was reminded after making that Longlin remark that he's never actually lost a match on Longlin, ever. He's never lost a match outside Chatrier. No. Mm. So. And we... Not for the best week, am I? <laughs> <laughs> we finished our chat with Mary earlier off air and uh, she said Nadal's omelette is open right <laughs> and that's very much a reference that you need to have listened to the Mary pod to understand so if you don't understand that go and listen to that pod now but basically he's got a chance right Nadal at this tournament and of course we said yes because it's Nadal at Roland Garros but it does feel like his first three matches here he's won very convincingly today was the best of the lot certainly for the first two and a half sets I think the best I've seen Nadal play probably since Acapulco, really. I didn't think he was amazing always in Indian Wells. Anyway, the idea of him winning suddenly seems not obvious because Djokovic and Alcaraz, but it feels like we may be thinking more about weather forecasts and scheduling and level rather than the foot, you know, because, mm. look, the foot hasn't been a problem for three there matches. There wasn't any question about the foot in his post-match which press. Which was the first time, first I think. Time. And look, we know that it's when he gets pushed and it's when he gets tested that the foot does become an issue. But I I think we go back a week and Nadal was far less certain about how he, how he was going to pull mm. up. He's, he's had a pretty perfect three rounds, I think. Timing of match as well, is another factor. That's what I mean with scheduling. Yeah, but you it, well, know, I mean, if he gets that nightmare, she's made it so well, clear he didn't, this, doesn't, doesn't work. This is fascinating. So we're probably jumping the gun on our on our preview here, but let's just allow ourselves to go there for a moment because both Nadal and Djokovic have been asked about this today and both of them have been drawn on it. They've, they've laid their cards on the table. 
The cards were pretty easy to guess, but the fact that they fronted up about them is interesting. Nadal asked in press how he feels about night sessions, and he said he does not agree with night sessions in principle on clay. He said, obviously, they don't suit me personally, but he just doesn't think they should be played full stop. I think the conditions are too heavy, the balls are too slow, and actually... I. I think he's worried about injuries, mm, night yeah. sessions on clay, because the players are having to force the ball so yeah. much. And Djokovic on a TV interview, I think, with Tennis Channel, but um, I'm not quite sure. I know Nadal visited the Tennis Channel studio. Actually, no, it must have been uh, on French, French TV, telly. because it was Mikhail Lodra that asked him. Yeah, it was uh, French TV. He was asked about... Um, whether he would like the potential quarterfinal that he might end up playing against 13-time champion Rafael Nadal, whether he would like that to be a night session. And Djokovic said, let's just say that Nadal and I would be asking for different scheduling on that day. Quite like that. And Matt and I were talking about this earlier, and Nadal's going to ask for day, Djokovic is going to ask for night. Prime Video will ask for night. France Television will ask for day, and I'm sure other TV stations will, you know, have various requests as well. I think it's going to be pretty much equal weight on either side, and ultimately it's going to be a a judgment call from from the tournament, and it's going to be fascinating. Does anybody want to make a call about where that match will be? With, with apologies to Diego Schwarzman and Felix Auger-Lassim, whose uh, matches... Does it win. make any difference which that they're on one side of the draw or, or other in terms of preparation time for the next one? No, I don't think so. I think the other consideration would be what the other men's quarterfinal would be that day, which we would expect it to be Alcaraz versus Zverev. Um, which, you know, is a good night session match as well. I'm going to say, I I think it'll be day, and I think Alcaraz Zverev will be night. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think the fact there's so much talk about the conditions, it would would be the more... I don't don't want to say controversial, but it would be a bit controversial to put it at night. They're they're not going to let that match finish at 2am, which it could. You don't think tennis would let a big match finish at 2am, No, but what I'm saying is, of all matches, Mm. if they ended up with that Mm. at 2 in the morning. Well, last year they scheduled it so that the the president had to make a phone call to allow it to continue with a crowd. I mean... (laughs) Well, it was virtually a night session last year. Yeah. You know, it was, I think. Yeah. And look how that favoured Djokovic, certainly as the match went on as well. I think they like that slot is sorry just one more point on this is that a another problem with french open night sessions like how much do the conditions at night vary in new york and in australia i suppose they do i suppose particularly the heat of the day is a factor in those in both of those places but is it is it much slower at night are the Balls much heavier. I, I don't know. That's probably a question for players more than us. But is it is it a problem that the conditions are so different at yeah. night on clay here point. versus 
during the day where you get a match like yeah, this. Yeah, it's, it's not just a physical comfort thing or a physical fitness thing. It's actually about, yeah, very, very good point. None of us are qualified to say, no. but I, I suspect you're onto something there. Um, just before we get too carried away with totally writing off the challenge of Felix Auger-Aliassime, who will be Nadal's next opponent, um, he was very good today. But Filip Krajinovic, he could have lost that. I mean, the, the most tennis I've seen from Felix Auger-Aliassime this tournament was him putting in a bit of a stinker in the opening round, quite frankly. And since then, he has just tightened everything up mm. and gone into professional mode. And he's in good shape going into this this yeah. fourth round. And of course, he's got Uncle Tony in his corner, and that is going to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and Ref was asked about that today as well, wasn't he? And he's just made it clear that there's no problem. But it's a, it's, it's a little interesting that for Tony Nadal, it's, uh, I, I compared it to sending a player out on loan and then not, not allowing them to play mm. against you. Mm, Conor Gallagher vibes. I, I believe Nadal, and I believed Nadal in his press today when he repeatedly said it isn't, it's not a problem for him. I do wonder if it's not necessarily a problem for Felix, but a factor on his mind. You know, you... you you hire people to be in your corner, one hundred percent. They are your people, and what are you not telling me about what I should be doing to yeah. beat this guy? And, and and look, it's something he would he absolutely knew about when he signed up to that. But being okay with it in principle, in the big picture, on paper, is very different to in how you feel in the moment when it actually when it comes actually to pass. yeah yeah. And I. From what Nadal said in his press conference and also from what Felix said in his, I would be a bit surprised if Tony Nadal is in Felix's box. Look, he's not going to be in Nadal's box, that's for sure. But I, I think he might sit somewhere neutral or watch it on a screen or, or something. He'd probably be in the stadium. Mm. But I just get the impression he probably won't be in the box. Do you remember when uh, the brief period when Nadal and Djokovic shared a PR manager? Oh, yeah. Benito, who is still Nadal's PR manager, and uh, they played one another, and Benito sat in Nadal's box and wasn't Djokovic's PR manager <laughs> <laughs> soon after that. And, and I feel like on much lower level, but Severin Luti has had that with mm. Federer and Wawrinka over the years, and he's always sat in... In Federer's box when they've played. Um, just just on Felix, by the way, four slams in a row now where he's reached the second week, starting at Wimbledon last year, right through to US Open, Australia, yes. here. And for someone who has these quite dramatic um, veering from brilliant to lacklustre during the season, he's become really consistent at slams and, and that's shown in the fact that he is fourth in the race and that is something i learned from rafael nadal today in two languages in two different languages did you know david that the race is el race in spanish <laughs> oh mm. i didn't he was also he was also asked a question in catalan and i was really hoping he was going to make it three <laughs> from three but my catalan's not brilliant and i, I didn't pick it up he's all, he, it's this it's the standard he's asked about his next opponent he says he's a great opponent he's fourth in the race <laughs> Um, so that's three of the four fourth round meetings from that 
uh, top half of the draw covered. The other one will be Alexander Zverev against Bernabe Zapata Mirayas, who beat John Isner today. Zverev beat Brandon Nakashima in three sets. And Zapata Mirayas was a Ooh. set and a breakdown in qualifying. Wow. And has come all the way through. That's your proverbial playing with house money, mm. isn't it? And there was, a, I didn't see any of them, but I believe there were scenes in his match with John Isner. Yeah, I saw, I saw some of the scenes. Uh, John, John Isner was fighting hard, and, uh, and I think he went a bit over the edge at one point in one of his celebrations. Um, and he, yeah, he was a bit wild eyed, I have to say, and <laughs> the, the limbs were going everywhere. And oh, dear. Relatable stuff, David. Yeah, I can definitely. If you thought the only way to get a more defined through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Let's move on to the women's draw now, which... The action started today on the women's side of things in just the most beautiful, incredible fashion. Matt was there for for the for the commencement of uh, Anisimukova, as he <laughs> as he called it, and it did not disappoint, did it, Matt? For 
well, for about 90 minutes. It was an 84-minute first set, I think, and it was everything you wanted it to be. It was, yeah. I, I wanted to just live in it. It was... <laughs> I mean, you basically were in those I mean, press those, seats. Yeah, those long seats. Yeah, they are, I think, the best press seats in tennis. And it was fantastic, you know. Um, it felt so consequential, you know, was really the thing. And, you know, I, I compared it to Dimitrov Schwartzman was happening over on Simone Mathieu, the other side of the grounds. And look, I'm sure that was... Okay, it wasn't a great match. It was a straight set to win, but I'm sure that was fun in itself. But as we've talked about, it doesn't feel that significant for the tournament. You know, the winner plays Novak Djokovic and then Nadal and then, you know, so on. This match in the bottom half of the women's draw genuinely felt like either of these players, if they win it, could go on to reach the final or possibly even win the tournament. You know, it's it had a big match feel to it and you could feel that. The players were feeling that. And for most of the set, it was extremely high quality. You had Anissa Mova hitting her arrow-like shots and Mukova with her sort of soft skills and hand skills and loops and touch. It was a lovely contrast. And then it got to the tie break. And bearing in mind, I think both players had had set points before the tie break, but it got to a tie break. And suddenly the tension overtook the quality and... You could feel it and you could see it on particularly Anissimova's face. She was sort of agonizing over it. She had a drive volley on top of the net, which she put wide on set point. And eventually Mukova kind of took the set, stole the set. And it felt so big, as you said, over 80 minutes. I felt like she was then going to probably go on and, and win the match because, you know, she'd got that first set, which just felt massive. And then it just all came very sadly crashing down. You know, it was genuinely the best set of tennis I'd seen all tournament, I think, followed by a really sad set and a half because Mukova rolled her ankle halfway through the second set and it was kind of symbolic of her career. You know, she's done this great thing and you're thinking, right, build on it, go and win this match. And she gets injured. And that's what we've experienced with Mukova her whole career. You know, she'll have a great run and then... She's injured and we never really know how good she is. And I felt desperately, desperately sorry for her. She was in tears in the match. She was covering her head with her towel a lot of the times. She she played on pretty valiantly, but may, maybe possibly not smartly. Too, possibly too valiantly. Yeah, she probably played six or seven games there where she was barely moving and you'd think only potentially worsening the ankle. And when she went a double breakdown in the third set, she called it and it was just a real shame because it was such a good match before then I feel like I don't even know what sort of player she is really I know Mm. she's got variety I've heard this and I've watched enough to gather that but I feel like after the amount of time she's been on the circuit you you know what a player is and I don't the amount of injuries she's had the, the stop-start nature of it, I haven't got a handle on her at all. I feel like I know her game. I, I really Because her game catches your eye. And when when you, you see it, you pay attention to it. Um, and I feel like she's had quite a few eye-catching wins. You know, Sakari mm. in the previous round, you had that Muguruza win um, at the US Open a few years ago, which I think was the first time I really took notice of her. And then, of course, there was that weird Wimbledon where it became apparent that she was friends with Rebel Wilson. <laughs> And she 
beat Ash Barty. <laughs> she beat Australian Ash Barty. Open, so I, f- I feel like I know her game. I just don't know how good she can be. Mm. How does she handle moments? Yeah, exactly. Stress, that's, I don't know who she is as a, as a person on a tennis court and how far that game can go. And goodness me, that must be so... Well, if it's frustrating for us... It must be damn frustrating. Because as well, her. you know, the, when the fact that she just absorbed Zachary's game and mm. won, and then she absorbed a set of Anisimova hitting the living daylights out of it, you're thinking, this is a player I want to see ever go against Sviantec. And she's got an incredible mm. temperament. She remains extremely cool. It's um, she's got so many attributes, and I'd love to see her go a go a period of in, being injury free and just. Getting a slice of luck, really, because she deserves it, I think. Anisimova is through. It's tough one of her to go through that way because she's, you know, she's just been playing great tennis. Matt, describe her backhand up close for us because that's what the people come to the podcast for. I mean, there's no way I can do it justice. It's it's my favourite backhand and I look out for backhands. I have a list of backhands I like. Hers is at the top. Do you? Where's your list? Um, is, it, is it written? Handwritten? Is it laminated? It's is in it my like, head. Is it, it like it, Ross's <laughs> list in Friends that he's laminated? Yeah, and then he realises, oh, he's missed one out. Yeah, missed off Isabella Rossellini. Mm. <laughs> um, but it, it's smooth is the word that comes to mind. It is so smooth and she can hit it down the line with power she can sometimes just hit a clean return winner off it it just makes you laugh and she can hit angles off it as well and it's it's a beautiful we're we're not letting this list thing go Matt we'll let it go for now but this will be coming back up again breakfast we're having that list and and if you notice when he talks about it the way way his face he looks like he's just a little bit drunk yeah. Well, I might be. We've had a lot of champagne today. <laughs> um, Anissa now plays Fernandez. Can I have a yes, please? Oh, yes, right. please. It's very Gen Z. Bottom, yeah. bottom half of the draw with Goff and Fernandez and Anissa Mova. Yeah, Fernandez beat Belinda Bencic today in a match that I saw, I saw quite a lot of in the early stages. But full disclosure, folks, we were recording our first podcast of the day during the the latter critical stages of this and just Fernandez once she gets her teeth into it into them she was she was down in the first set I think she she then she lost the second second set but and was a breakdown in at the start of the third she, I saw as well such yeah a force. well it's the first time we've been reminded of Flushy Meadows wasn't mm. it because she she was she had a crowd she had an she had a cause and she was not letting go mm. um and, and, I, and I missed that because I, I, I kind of thought we would see that in Indian Wells, Miami or something like that. But, you know, you've got it laid on here. She's on the big stage. We saw it a little bit in October, Indian Wells, yes, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. I can't quite remember where she lost out, but she played a couple of night session matches mm. that were electric. But we, we've not seen it enough since. That was when Pam Shriver said she was the best show in yeah. tennis because oh. it was following on from New and York. She, goodness, she can be. She's She is a force of nature when she when she gets going. I, I love watching. I went to, her, went to a press conference. Mary, Mary Grillo went to a press conference as well um, and asked her whether she was 
born a lefty, whether she's naturally lefty. And she sort of casually said, well, actually, I was born ambidextrous. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you were. Uh, both hands and feet amazing absolutely amazing and then mary of course followed up with a you know she said was it your choice to be a lefty and then she said yeah but my parents ended up saying yeah that was a good choice like (laughs) yes that was definitely a good choice layla it was absolutely absolutely fascinating and i i asked her sort of apropos of nothing i was just sort of quite interested what her relationship with emirati khanu is because those are two people that experienced something completely unique last last September that okay it ended differently but still one another's experience is probably the closest to shared experience mm. that either of them can can claim and um she's I got the impression that look they're not mates or anything they wouldn't you know go shopping together but she said whenever we see one another we share a big smile and a sort of knowing yeah. A knowing look and we really wish one another well and we hope to be able to play in matches I mean, like that again. I, I, I know you don't like boxing, but there's some of that in boxing where people have just shared a, a horrible experience in many ways, but there's such respect and there's a, there is that knowing look that only you and me mm. know what, what that was like. I love that. Yeah, and this is... I think only the second time she's made the second week of a slam and the only other time she went all the way wow. to the final and took everyone with her. And in that bottom half, you know, I don't think she's the favourite to come through it, but there are opportun- there's an opportunity there that we get mm. another, you know, Leila Fernandez experience here. It was only here. three years ago that she won the junior title here, Fernandez. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know she'd got that pedigree on 2019. Clay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, Leila Fernandez against Amanda Anisimova. We have Sloane Stevens in the fourth round. I'm really pleased about that. Me too, David. And me. Yeah. And I like Diane Parry, who she beats. You know, she's been a nice... She's been a bit like a, a an Hugo Gaston of 2022, in a way. <laughs> I've enjoyed watching her, but... I think is, isn't Hugo Gaston, Gaston is Hugo Gaston of yeah, 2022. You know, when he came on the scene and he managed to beat... <laughs> beat yes. Stan Wawrinka and all the rest of it but <laughs> I don't know I like Sloane the sport is better when Sloane Stevens is playing lots of it and mm. winning and winning matches because nobody else does it quite like her she she was kind of asked in very polite terms in press afterwards where's this come from <laughs> and she was so she was like I don't really know I kind of lost all my matches um on you know coming into this tournament and she she basically said i never know when i'm she said it in the third person in the way sports people do she said you just never know when you're going to hit some form um but i feel like some people do know a little bit more than she does oh, you know absolutely. it's it's totally the be- totally the be- unpredictable and i sort of love that but i also find it fantastically frustrating but she is i've 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 found her a joy really in in press earlier on today and I haven't always I've always known that there is so much more there and we've had Mary to tell us about that on the podcast before haven't we I did a podcast with her here I think in 2019 where she talks about her experience of Sloan and what she's really like Stevens had had that injury and and had spent a lot of time exactly yeah but it was that it had coincided with a period where she was pretty frosty with the 
press you know she'd got gun shy with the press and she's been on a real journey Mm. with her relationship with the media but she was so relaxed and so open today and it was it was great and i'm not going to say anything more about how far she could possibly go because oh is she got she is a she's a nightmare she's banana skin predictions town but it's great to see her playing this way. She's got Jill Teichman next, who it turns out, David, is an absolute sensation. Such a hit with the fans on Court Simone Paris Mathieu. loves they Jill Teichman. They love Jill Teichman. Oh, really? She's got, they call her Jill... Jilly. 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 She had her own singing <laughs> section. She, she had, went, her, she went she had up, her own choir, David. She went up to them afterwards and did that thing that Jurgen Klopp does in front of the cop after yeah. they've won, <laughs> lifting good. their arms in the air. Well, and, gee, I got the sense that you got a, had a bit of a shine to her in the Billie Jean King Cup. She's got a backhand, David. But she's also a bit feisty and a bit sort of, you know... She gave me one of my favourite lines ever during the Billie Jean King Cup when all the aggro was kicking off um, in the final there. And I asked the Swiss team um, whether they would talk to the Russian Federation team after the match because they were concerned about the fact that they'd sort of fiddled the order. And I asked it to Heinz Gunhart, who was the Swiss captain, but off mic, Jill Teichman went, better not. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't catch it. So I said, sorry, could you say that again, Jill? (laughs) On on mic, please. Um, (laughs) And I just have ever since, you're right, David, ever since I've really sort of liked Jill Teichman. And I made my way over to Court Simone Mathieu. I got caught up in the Carlos Alcaraz going to practice stampede that was happening between Philippe Chatre and Simone Mathieu, sort of on my phone walking over there. And suddenly I was like, bloody hell, there's a lot of people here. And next thing I know, a security guard's literally moving me out of the way because <laughs> I'm about to walk into Carlos Alcaraz. Um, but once I got there, it was, it was at the start of the third set and it was a really competitive match. You know, Azarenka was, you know, she'd let slip that second set, but she was not going to let it go quite so easily in the third set. She was fighting hard and Teichman was fighting hard and it was just a great match. And Catherine joined me eventually with a magnum for the uh, final set tie break. The ice cream, not the champagne. The ice cream, mm. that's right. And yeah, I, it, it was great. And, and the main takeaway I had was just how much the crowd were getting behind Jill Teichman. She's got quite a fun brand of tennis. You know, she's, mm. she's a lefty, she hits... With, with a lot of loop sometimes and then sometimes flattens it out. And, and Azarenka served for this match, didn't mm. she? She did. And that was the thing, you know, a, a match between Jill Teichman, who is improving and has had some great results over the last year or so, but Victoria Azarenka, you know, Grand Slam champion. And yet it was Teichman that won the big points in the match. You know, the, all the big moments, including the final set tiebreak, it was Teichman that stepped up, and I don't think I don't think I would have expected that before. Do you know? I, I kind of did because while that final set was going on, I found myself thinking. Obviously, we couch everything we say in terms of who we want to win based on predictions, right? <laughs> I found myself thinking, I think I'd rather have Azarenka win this because I reckon Coco Goff's got a better chance of beating her than she has of beating Teichman. I, I agree. I think Teichman is going to be hard to beat. Mm. Mm. But Coco Goff beat Kaya Kanepi today, and that takes some doing for 
Anyone who beats Kanepi, well, yeah. I'm, I'm convinced. She, you know, she, if you're she, a seed and you beat Kanepi. Again, this was happening while we were recording with Mary earlier on today, but she went a breakdown in the opening set. It's Kaya Kanepi. You know, Coco Goff... And it's early rounds. When, is, when exactly. She, yeah. she, she just preys on people. This was so losable for Coco Goff, mm. and I think it could be coming together for her. I do. That makes it sound like it's not been together. It, no, but, you know, but she, it's... She's, she has, um, I don't want to say stagnated, but she's sort of levelled. Mm. She hasn't taken another another jump, has she? And and we're waiting for that. Mm. This it, could be it. Elise Merton's next for Goff, which, if Goff plays well, should be winnable because Elise Merton's great player, has a ceiling, and, and Goff's ceiling is higher. She needs to turn up. She needs to play. Elisa Mertens won't won't hand her anything. So I th- I that's a, that's a test. There have been tournaments over the last year where you could imagine Goff not winning that match. Absolutely, and and that's that's where we need to see the difference. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The other the other fourth round that was set up today on the women's side was Martina Trevisan picking up uh, on the form that won her the title in Rabat last week. She's uh, she's pressed on. As she beat Dario Saville today. Uh, she now plays Alexandra Sasnovich, who has killed the Kerber dream. Damn it. Nothing personal, Alexandra. <laughs> mm. But but she I mean she's playing really well, isn't, isn't she? she? She is. And it's just as she should be. She's a great player. I don't know why her ranking isn't I I, I don't know why she's not higher ranked. I don't know why she's not doing better in the race. But but maybe this is the start of something because she really can play, and uh, that you know, all due respect to Trevisan, who's a such a solid clay court player, um, and really gets the crowd behind her as well, doesn't she, Trevisan? But that is a big opportunity for for Alexandra Sasnovich to take a huge step forward in her career. Um, what is on the agenda for tomorrow in Paris? This is how the order of play is looking on day seven. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's a Saturday, so it doesn't feel like it should be day seven. So I just wanted to double check. But it's a bit, it's it is a bit like day those seven. Miami and Indian Wells that run yes. over a week and a half, isn't I'm it? I'm all at sea. Anyway, we start on Philippe Chatrier with the world number one, Igor Svontek, against Danka Kovinic. How many games is she going to get? Four. I think Ooh, four is a good She should call. get a, a plate for that. I mean, big plate. For, I mean, you know... I, I haven't got any other predictions right, so I'll have that one. Elise Cornet against Jung Chin Wen. Is Cornet going to set up a Sviontek fourth round? Probably yes. Mm. I think I, d- I haven't seen Jung play enough to to know yet what what sort of game she's got. But I would just imagine the occasion, and Cornet is going to be doing Cornet things in front of the French crowd, <laughs> and that's going to be a, a nightmare to deal with. So I'd say yes. Then it's Gilles Simon against Marin Cilic. She's got this incredible head-to-head. Uh, Simon against Marin Cilic. Gilles Simon could make the second week of What's this French head-to-head? Open. 6-1. Is I it? think six one to Seymour. The only time Chilich beat him was the twenty fourteen US Open, which he went on to win. <laughs> I I would never have known that. That's amazing. Put the retirement ceremony on ice and uh, under the lights tomorrow night, going up against the Champions League final, which of course is being played in Paris. Uh, it is Holger Runa against Ugo. 
Gaston, which could be the match of the day. Oh, I actually. really want to see that match. <laughs> we can double screen. <laughs> Uh, over on Suzanne Longner, I think this is, the, aside from that Runa Gaston match, I think this is the place to be. Irina Camilla Begu against uh, uh, Leolia Jean Jean, who we learned about on yesterday's pod. Uh, Mimi Ketsmanovic against Daniel Medvedev. First really big test, I think, this Very for Medvedev by and, that. and where he's at on clay. Paolo Bedosa takes on Veronica Kudimitova. Very intrigued by that. And Stefanos Sitsabas against Mikhail Immer. Somewhat intrigued by that. <laughs> uh, Yannick Sin is in action on Court Simon Mathieu. Sabalenka against Georgie. That could be interesting. Oh, Go- can, no, can we just have a moment for okay. Sabalenka Georgie? Sure. It's Sabalenka against Georgie. They're just going to be hitting the living daylights out of every attempted shot, no matter how off on it is. <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah. David Goffin against Hubert Hercatch and Madison Keys against Elena Rabakina. Oh, bet that'll be good. Andre Rublev on court 14. He's up against Garin. Jessica Bagula against last year's semi finalist Tamara Zidanshek. Casper Rude also on court 14 against Lorenzo Sonigo. There's doubles action as well. We'll start covering that uh, in a few days' time. Don't worry. One other thing uh, that we wanted to cover yesterday, actually, but just uh, just didn't quite have time. It was the news that was broken in the Times yesterday, the Times in the UK, which is that Wimbledon are removing Miss and Misses from their women's honour roll. Obviously, they'll do this going forward, but they're also removing references to, to Miss and Misses backdated for past champions. Um, and obviously, this is a really good thing but it's 2022 and it's astonishing it is astonishing that up until now chris evett's 1981 title still appeared as mrs j m lloyd and okay she 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 took john lloyd's surname but it doesn't even have her initials uh, it is astonishing to to hear that it really makes you feel queasy to hear that. Mrs. L.W. King is how Billie Jean King's... Mm. Or a couple of Billie Jean King's titles are listed. I mean, thank goodness they're doing it. And thank goodness they're doing it. But also, I would just say, and this is... You tune out now if you don't want Catherine on a soapbox, but this isn't just a Wimbledon problem. This is... If, you're, if, you, th- if you think it's right that this is happening, then just have a think about society and the fact that... It is impossible to determine a man's marital status from his from his title or prefix. And yet a woman, every time you're required to provide a, a title, you are declaring your marital status. Yes, it is slightly more frequent now that Ms. is an option. And sometimes actually don't fill in forms when Ms. isn't an option, just in objection. Um, but just just think about that, the fact that every single time you have to do anything official whatsoever, or even unofficial, sometimes you have to do it at the dry cleaner, or I don't know what it is, inconsequential things, you have to declare your marital status, because that matters to society, and that is, it's horrible, and it is just such a clear illustration of sexism, and just such deeply ingrained patriarchy. Um, so I hope this is, hope this is one of these just headline things that 
it's not going to change things overnight, but it might just prompt people to to think. Yeah, it's one of those things which it's great that it's happening, but I don't think Wimbledon should be getting a big big pat on the back for it. Mm. You know, I, I was kind of reminded of very recently in um, US soccer agreed equal pay for the men and uh, women's teams, and that's been something that's been fought for by a lot of people and it's also been something that's been fought against by a lot of people anyway it was it was a historic thing recently and Midge Purse who's a player for the US women's national team said that she was grateful for the equal pay thanks everyone who's made it happen but her dad used to tell her that you know you shouldn't reward someone for doing something that they're supposed to do so Mm. she wasn't going to give out any gold stars for it um it should have happened a long time ago and that's exactly how I feel here about this. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. That is it for your second day six French Open tennis podcast. We'll be back with at least one tomorrow. Normally when we record two, Serena Williams has gone out or something, <laughs> or, you know, Rafa Nadal's lost. No, we're just celebrating the fact that we remembered to celebrate <laughs> an anniversary for once. And it's a, it's a pretty, pretty big one to have remembered. Ten years ago, we started this podcast and... Uh, it's hard to believe how far we've come and that's because of you listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of you that are friends of this show that make it possible for us to grow it in the way that we are. We're we're loving it. We are more committed to, to this show than we've ever been. And in the words of Billie Jean King, the best is yet to come. We have our French Open mascot, Cooper. Hello, Cooper. Hi, right, Cooper. We have our mascot, Carter. For me, Darwin for David, Sorry, Gerald, Darwin. Gerald for Matt. I've heard Dar- Darwin's put in for a, a swap. Mm. Good move, Darwin, I'd say. <laughs> uh, Billy Jean. David was tempted to go with Igor Sviontek to win tomorrow <laughs> just to get some points Seriously. on the board. I would have got three. <laughs> Billy Jean's got Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And we have birthday shout-outs, Matt. We do. We have Julian Schumeister in Vienna. Wow, what a Hello. great name. Like Julian Beneteau. Yes, although that's E-N at the end, isn't it? Oh, this is A-N, A-N. like um, Julian Noel. No. Yes. <laughs> They've just done a fist bump, <laughs> folks. Um, he was, was, was he Austrian? Canadian. Austrian. Austrian. Yeah. Who was Canadian? Mark Knoll. <laughs> no, he was Bahamas. <laughs> S- someone was Canadian. Daniel Nestor. And he played with Mark Knowles. Yes. That's yes. Knowles and Nestor. <laughs> we, 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 we got we, there in we, the end. We got it wrong four times. <laughs> Thank you, Julian, for your support. We also have Ricky Caraviotis. From Sydney. Amazing. That really is great. I'm I'm not sure there are any te- tennis rickies, and I think that's a shame. Yeah. I think... I, can you got, say the name again? I might say it differently. Ricky <laughs> Caraviotis. Ricky, could you become a tennis player, please? Because that name needs to be on you've got, a board. You've got your Gervais, you've got your Martin. <laughs> There's no tennis player. We need Ricky... Caraviotis. Yes, we do. Ricky, thank you for being our friend. Become a tennis player. Yeah. Please. Thank you, Ricky. 
And finally, we have Anne from Basel, who is someone I met today. Hey! And honestly, total coincidence. Right. Uh, genuinely, I met her today, I went to look at the shout-outs, and she was the next one up. That's cool. That I promise cool. you, that, I promise um, you, that is what happens. Only happens on your 10th birthday, that. Is she the one that came to see you in the long Lem press box? Yes, she uh, fought off a security guard. <laughs> <laughs> We love that, Anne. Thank you very much. It's also my middle name. Cheers, Anne. Cheers, Anne. Thanks for your support. Thanks to all friends of the pod. Thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, Here's to the next 10 years. We'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.